Someone needs to tell those tales, when the battles are fought and won and lost, when the pirates find their treasures and the dragons eat their foes for breakfast with a nice cup of lapsang souchong. Someone needs to tell their bits of overlapping narrative. There's magic in that. It's in the listener. And for each and every ear it will be different, and it will affect them in ways they can never predict. From the mundane to the profound, you may tell a tale that takes up residence in someone's soul, becomes their blood and self and purpose. Aaron Morgenstern, The Night Circus A Lock Shock A Fabulism Chapter 28 The Second Mess No, no, I quite like your contribution, Oswaldin. The dead maiden pats him consolingly on the head, as if he's her star pupil. We should do both. Pile as many curses atop Absim's head as can be. The Ruthic king glares at me. He's still upset over missing out on our globe-spanning adventure. I am too. He could have been murdered by one of those little white knights like Oidel Kint was. I'd have been so pleased. If I may, I add. Perhaps you can electrify me before the beast consumes me. Then both it and I will vanish into infinity, and you don't need to worry about whether or not rejection does the trick when it swallows me. Surviving will solely be my problem. Well, obviously I have to spark your skin before it consumes you. How would we banish it otherwise? Quite. But is there no way... Clarice whinges. That we can assure Absim's death. I mean, what if he somehow comes back? I can't stand the thought. Oh no, you might have to sneak into my bedchamber again. How ghastly for you. Please, won't anyone think of the strumpet? Clarice's eyes flash with hatred. He begged me to slay him before we fed him to the creature. Lady Far calls out over her shoulder. We climb a slope to a ridge overlooking a basin between Mount Apsom to the west and a lockshock proper to the east. But I said we shall do no such thing. He must be made an example of. We must witness him break. The Light Eater must overcome him in ways none of us have ever been able to. Don't you see? The more gruesome an example we can set, the more future Apsims we can dissuade. Can't kill him anyway. Runk looks at me with compressed fury. Can't even properly torture him first. Mid-stride, he swings an arm down and snags a pointed rock the size of my head. He hurls it at me and it tumbles off my arm, leaving a scrape. Can't do anything but feed him to the beast. If we must choose, I think we're better off teleporting them. Milord the Duke has mastered our electrical phenomenon and can pick a destination as far from a lockshock as can be. Perhaps under the sea. Oswalden holds up his little wand. Think about it. There's no guarantee that once the Light Eater swallows the Abnegator that it'll vanish. That's just our hope. But if we teleport them, then we're certain Apsim's gone. Yet we won't be certain he's dead. This from Iphine Gliss herself on the arm of Fenril Huff. The Hummingbird Queen scowls at me. We need him consumed and dead. Dead as stone. Oh, but stone's not very dead at all, I wink at her. No, your highness. Oswalden falls in beside them. Consider it. 
How will the exact moment go? Apsim stands, facing the light eater. I am beside him with my arc wand. It leans down and opens its maw. I spark Apsim's skin and a portal opens. Now, if the beast swallows him, I lose the electrical arc and the portal closes. It's still here, with us, and I'm next in line. No, no, please let me merely send them away. And how will you do that, Runk Box? Open a portal and push the massive thing in? I'm hoping I might have the briefest amount of time to conduct a pair of experiments. I have a hypothesis that between the Duke and myself, we can control the effect and change the properties of the portal to wit. We might enlarge it and pass it over the giant creature's body. Experiment? Tosti's eyebrows move up and down in consternation. I say, you'll have no time for experiments. You'll hardly have the time to commend your soul to Lumina before it snaps you up. Here. The wind blasts us as we gain the ridge, Lady Far's voice rising clear and strong above. The devastation, my lords and ladies, is to your right. It is unmistakable. The quality of light coming over the horizon from the far west. Mount Apsim itself cannot be seen, but the halo of wrongness that flares in metallic shades against the sky can be nothing else. Despite myself, I giggle. Someone's fist clouts the side of my head. We brought against the Light Eater holy fire and a host of priests. Then the sorcerer knights of Gilfane. The Ruthic king shakes his head in sorrow. Then our geomancer council opened the earth beneath its feet, but it only crawled its way back out, eating everything. They died. They all died, your highness. We are currently carving a channel from the sea to the mountain to surround the whole nightmare here with water. Consuming seawater might keep the beast busy at least while we figure out what else we might try. That is, assuming Apsim doesn't stop it. The Cloud Watcher, blade no longer sprouting from his neck, looks to his bonny bride. She nods. Yes, good to have backup plans. Now this is as far as we go, my dears. We shall not endanger ourselves by getting any nearer. Here we shall wait, as Lady Far advances only with Oswaldin and Apsim. Three depart, two return. That is the plan. The Cloud Watcher drags me forward by the chain. Now, go. I catch his gaze. But whatever will you do, Fen, without me? Celebrate. I point in the Hummingbird Queen's direction. I was always a better partner to you than she is. We ignited the world. And Ifingliss has extinguished it. Go. Your fate awaits. Just one more thing. I must know. Oswalden says you can direct where the portal deposits us. Far told me about your compact with the Godhood. But however did you select our destinations? You chose them all, did you not? As we stood upon the angel spike, Ketaflix spoke in my mind. The Duke laughs without humor. He'd learned from Oswalden about the trick with the electrical arc, and he had an idea how it might fit into my plans. That first destination was random, but it was the djinn's calculated gale of wind that blew us thither. Suffice to say, while others were nursing those tureens of soup, the three of us invented a way to marry that electrical arc to my own will. The Lancy 
was entirely my choice. Yes, I know all about your choice. You'd sacrifice yourself to bring about my end. If that isn't friendship, Fen, I don't know what is. I said go. Lady Far steps from a conjured stream that rushes across the landscape with stunning speed. She moves with the dainty care of a fawn, her feet placed just so upon the blasted arch of the bank. And just like that we have traveled a league. Aha! This was how she transported the armies of the Aconides so quickly across the land. Their columns must have skipped across the laughing water, boughs overhanging, the land beyond a blur on either side. Oswalden's boots are wet. My own feet were repelled by the water, and Lady Fars appear untouched, but the little man grouses about his heels chafing as we climb the charcoal heap of a formerly forested slope to our destination. Things are grim here. The Totopas has clearly been busy. The ground shakes. The sky is filled with unwholesome vapors. All life has vanished. The grasses themselves have died away. Trees are but a cinderous memory. The earth itself is riven and tortured. Normally I'd consider this quite splendid, but I know very well that none of this devastation is for my enjoyment. I wonder if the great tongue beast still prowls the land. I'd assume the Light Eater consumed it as it has all else, but who knows? Perhaps they're loving brothers. We climb to a hill's shoulder. Before we can circle its peak, Oswalden ignites his wand in preparation. Lady Far makes an arcane gesture behind us. A trail of white smoke rises from her tracks. When Absim's gone... She informs Oswalden. Grab my hand, and this incantation will pull us back instantly along our path to safety. We'll do, milady, and if the Light Eater turns on us, push me to the fore, and I shall distract it with my tools while you escape. I shall not abandon you, Oswalden, nor I you. They squeeze hands. I strike a melodramatic pose and make an offended gagging sound, which they both ignore. We step around the hillside. There is Mount Absim in all its horrible glory. The valley before it, where I fought among the Aconide, is now a hellscape. The ground has fallen away into fulminating crevasses of magma. Poisonous smoke rolls from it. The Totopas crouches atop the peak like a single malevolent gargoyle, as large as the mountain itself. Its walls have twisted and curved into a nearly living shape. I can make out gargantuan claws and scales, but little else. Lava still spouts from its maw. The glacier is long gone. There, far points. I wrench my gaze from the awful castle to watch the Light Eater clambering around the far side of the peak near Shashok's boulder hut between the mountain and the sea. Fortunately, it doesn't eat in a hurry. Splintered tree trunks and boulders fall from its mouth as it grazes the land down to bedrock. I need a sword. I don't know why, but the image of facing the creature while holding a sword aloft pleases me. Does anyone have one? It would only fall from your grip. Now shut up. Lady Far turns to Oswalden. How may we safely reach the Light Eater, O mighty Anambunator? I don't like the look of that castle. Not one bit. 
nor I. Tis a shame that the light-eater consumes everything impartially. If it liked one thing more than another, we could draw it hither with a treat. I suppose we must skirt the mountain somehow. Yet how? Both the castle and the beast have the capacity to interfere with our arts. Oh, sky and earth, hear me! Startled by my boldness, they fall silent. To any and all who remain. To my faithful Onabraith captains, to my Dwerim and Gesgum and Mesgrick snakemen, your master commands you. I'd hoped to raise my voice in a fearful roar, but my arts are nowhere to be found. Puny bleating in the wind is all I accomplish. I lift my arms instead and strike a dramatic pose. Nothing. Ah, well. All dead, I suppose. Twas worth a try. As I say it, a single damaged Onabraith climbs up from the hellscape and struggles toward me, singing his commands in a whistling, broken voice. The narrow black legs are bent the wrong way, and walking upon them must be agonizing, but his eyes are fixed on me. I encourage him forward. Yes, that's it, my lad. Come to your master. Attend upon me. We watch him scale the slope of our hill in silence. His intractable will conquers every obstacle. Soon he is swaying before me, his song ended. Yes, that's it, my child. You have done well. Now, but before I can instruct the Onabraith, he howls and launches himself at me in attack. His claws tear at my clothes, and one hooks the chain. With a triumphant scream, he flings my body down the hillside. A brief snatch of Oswalden and Far's outraged cries fade in the distance. I fall, and crash, and slide, and fall, and crash. The hillside drops into Black Canyon. Now I'm toppling into a crevasse at its bottom and me without my geomancy. A river of magma pulses below. I laugh, nay, cackle at my predicament. This has done it. This final betrayal by the Onabraith has fully bloody done it. I totter here on a crumbling bit of aggregate, gasping in the poisonous air, unable to stop cackling. Ah, ha, ha, madness come to me. Thou art my final refuge. My feet slip. Away I go. At the last possible instant, I tumble onto a miraculous shelf overhanging the magma, just the tiniest finger of pitted obsidian. My treacherous feet slide sideways and I nearly pitch headlong into the crevasse. Pressing my back against the wall of stone, I cower away from the scalding air. Then I stumble backward. Why, what's this? A crooked gap in the crevasse wall behind me? A tunnel into darkness? I laugh like a ghoul and escape within. No, you fucking don't! Lady Far has somehow found me again before I've gone more than a few steps. She grabs me by the chain and yanks me back with such force that I fall on my ass. It cuts my cackling short. She drags me back toward the opening, twisting and scrabbling on the ground, the back of my head bumped and scraped by the gravel surface. I only see her heroic silhouette, limbed by the unnatural light outside. 
Out there? Why? Why do you need to take me back out there? Can't you tell the air will kill us both? Nay, Lady Outrage, allow me to teach you the wonders of the dark underground. Yes, out there. Don't fight me, fool. You must stop the Light Eater. But I don't want to. Finally, I find a crack to wedge a heel into. The blasted mutinous rejection in my skin makes it twist free, but not before I've used the leverage to regain my feet. Curse you to every hell, Absim, you hideous, unkillable! She yanks on the chain with each epithet, but I lean back, fighting her with every fiber of my being. I won't! I won't! With a mighty heave, I leap backward and vault deeper into the tunnel. It is no man-made passage. This is some broken schism in the crust, a jumbled granite and trap rock admixture. I drop, flailing, and bounce off a sliding slope of scree. To my glee, I feel the chain snap taut, and hear her gasp of shock as she tumbles after me deeper within. Her cry of outrage is like a clap of thunder. It bowls me over. Stop! Far's voice echoes within my head. The chain snaps taut once more, but this time it is as if I've been tied to an unmovable point. I come to an abrupt halt as the chain ravels tight and squeezes my ribs. Ow! Come here! Her voice in my head booms with undisputable command. An unbearable strength drags me back up the slope to where she stands, transformed. The slope here is too steep to gain purchase, but Lady Far no longer cares about such trifles. White, arctic fire shines beneath her dark skin and blazes in her eyes. It crackles at the edges of her black hair. I've never seen the effect, and it is quite impressive. She is quite certainly greater than human. Whatever else I've lost this day, I've at least gained a glimpse of Far's secret nature. Hello? Oswalden's voice echoes down from above, and a focused beam of light sweeps across the roof of this narrow passage from a point above. Are you down there? We are, Oswalden. Stay there. I'm bringing Absim back now. Her voice yet echoes in my head. I have the dreadful sensation that if she spoke aloud while such power courses through her, it would tear the air itself apart. But Oswalden joins us regardless. He wears a belt that has sprouted giant brass spider legs, and now he scuttles effortlessly down the slope. That wicked soldier of his gave me a bit of trouble, milady, but— I said stay there. Finally, the force of her voice stops him. He regards her soberly and nods. Yes, milady. I mean, your worship, or... Huh. He dials one of the lenses on his goggles, peering at her. Fascinating. She holds up a shining arm, pointing back to the entrance. At once. I am not one of your specimens, Oswalden. Return to the entrance before I return you there myself. Oswalden gulps, evidently shaken by what he learned from his quick study. Yes, lord. I mean... Lady, he turns on his spider legs and begins scrambling back upslope. Each of Far's footfalls in the sliding scree shakes the bedrock itself. She scales the slope easily, the gravel parting around her and bouncing into me. I'm dragged behind like a child's toy. But we will not escape so easily. 
Leave the dark one. The fell voice rises from the inky blackness below. Both Oswalden and Far turned to regard the depths. The voice spoke with the solidity of the earth itself, impossible to deny. Yet Far does deny it. The Dark One, Absim Totopas Grill, comes with me. He does not. The darkness below us grows more concentrated, threatening. Oh, ah, my throat is surprisingly dry. I've heard terror does that. Yes, I do recognize the voice, milady. May I introduce you to the Totopas? Oswalden. Her internal voice is a command. I cannot protect you. I will retrieve you after. She waves a hand in his direction. His protest is cut short as his form flashes with white light and vanishes. What happens next can only be described with sense impressions. First off, without my invulnerable powers of rejection, I'd certainly be dead. I'd be worse than dead. I'd be ground into dust between these two limitless powers of darkness and light. Then my dust would ignite into smoke, and the smoke itself would detonate, and all that would be left of me is memory. In short... The conflict between these two titanic forces is so sharp and overwhelming and sudden that I cannot make of it any sensible byplay of thrust and counterthrust. It is instead what it must feel like at the terminus impact of a meteorite, or when a volcanic eruption meets the sea. All I know is that the ground falls away, tilts sideways, then slaps me down. My vision is at turns filled with painfully bright light or icy darkness, and my left wrist appears to be broken. Something odd is going on with my eyes and ears. Their input flickers, as if the rejection protects me from catastrophic sights and sounds which would otherwise tear my brain to bits. Well, thanks for that. A tremendous detonation blows out the entire shelf of bedrock behind and above us, clearing the way. Now dusty rays of polluted sunlight tilt down to us from the surface. Zunes, that must have been Far's doing. But the Totopas snarls with outrage and the entire mountain shakes. I can tell that it is surprised to find a foe as powerful as this. Its deadly will thrums through me and the living rock we stand upon, and it refuses to let us go. Like a thousand reaching claws, the edge of the broken earth strain forward against the sky to close us in once again. But Far responds with even more detonations— Every curling finger of rock she blasts into powder. She clears the hole free of encroaching earth. And now we're rising in the air on a shining pillar of light. Why, she might just extricate us from this pit after all. What a staggering display of power. Far was right. I had no idea just how ancient and mighty she was. Her arctic light is a whirling, living being around us, lashing out at the darkness. Now she is laughing to herself, a soft chuckle of ease in my head that unintentionally lets me know everything is going according to her plan. How reassuring. And then the light eater appears above.
When I was but a lad of fifteen or so, I was given the only opportunity I ever had to join the Aconide. Our elders had recruited a collection of oddballs and gifted freaks, all of an age. Simony, Caimule, Juventa, Rank, Oswalden, and Rhine. Most had been together in the scarlet crutch of the Hierot Palace, the children of Aconide, or the exemplars of far-flung schools, since their first teeth. The kids called themselves the Dog Years Brigade, for they always insisted they were old enough to handle their powers. I was a late interloper, the first to join their little gang since Juventa had, three years before. The little beasts were already hidebound and suspicious of change, especially Runk. If my chroniclers desire any key reason why Absim turned out the way he did, let the blame be laid at the feet of my Sim Runk. He was such an intolerable little fucker. Life is not a strategy game with a rule book, no matter how much one may desire it to be. The way life actually works is that for every rule enforcer, there must needs be a rule breaker. Oh, but twas a bright time, a glad time, in the bosom of the Hierot domestic chambers. We were awakening to the arts, and each other, and the vast promise of a lock-shock. I arrived quiet and defensive, yet I quickly learned to conceal my dark thoughts and join them in their demonstrative celebrations. It was made easier with their beauty. There was never anyone more darling than a youthful simony. Her classic profile and whippet body set my young heart aflame. Kaimul taught me the powers of charm. We all fell into and out of love with each other again and again in fierce, sweet affairs. Oswalden was the first boy I ever kissed, then Patros, then Vatania, and the oh-so-many others who never survived to adulthood. Geris, my favorite, until he was consumed by a fire devlet. Lomba was our jolly heart and soul until the day he failed to grasp the essence of the secret prayer arts of Micaiah, and in his grief threw himself into the sea. So many of them have fallen, so very many, that in hindsight our manifest blessings have proven to be a curse, killing us all before our time, and not a single one of them expected that Absim Bloody Grill would still stalk the lands of the living at this advanced age. Why, I may outlive them all yet. I outlived Oswalden. See, the way it went was, the Light Eater appeared at the top of our hole, ready to inhale the whole lot of us. Its flat eyes were so terrifying I would have shit myself if the biological impulse itself hadn't shriveled and died. Its gaze stole the breath from my lungs and the vitality from my limbs. I just wanted to sink onto the ground and expire. I have no idea what its regard was doing to Lady Far. I no longer cared to find out. Then with a wild cry, Oswalden appeared across the mouth of the vast hole Far had blasted. In his green robes, far above, he looked like a wayward aphid against the bovine bulk of the light-eater. He wore his clattering spider legs and led a procession of hurrying brass minions, all bearing a twisting white worm. No! he screamed. Not them! Me, you nightmare! I'm your prize! 
but the Light Eater still bent down toward us. Bang! Oswalden's barrel stock weapon scored the top of the Light Eater's head, and it groaned in irritation. Raising its head again, it beheld Oswalden. The brave man crumpled beneath its gaze. With a last gesture of defiance, he heaved the wriggling white worm forward and then fell to his knees, his eyes rolling back into his head. But his minions soldiered on, insensible to its deadliness, dragging the widening body of a giant worm whose far end I could not see. With an ungainly lunge, the Light Eater opened its maw and scooped Oswalden, his minions, the white worm, and a sizable portion of earth within. Chomp! It clamped its mouth shut, then took another heaving gulp of the endless white worm. It chewed. And that is how the great philosopher-artist Oswalden Murat of Nabezna met his end, saving the good and the bad alike as the monstrous light-eater's second-to-last meal. Its last meal is the white worm, for once it starts to eat, it cannot stop. And it soon becomes apparent that this is no white worm. It is the Light Eater's own tail. Chomp, chomp, indeed. Clever Oswalden has cleaned up my mess without any help from me. I come back to my senses as the Light Eater finishes up its rear haunches and begins to tear open its own abdominal cavity. I turn away, appalled, to find Lady Far in silent conflict with the Totopas. Tendrils of darkness have wrapped around her bright legs and apparently invaded her somehow. She fights an internal battle, her body shuddering and eyelids fluttering. I'm unsure whom I want to win. Well, actually, that's easy. I want Far to win because I can't bear to witness her death. She makes the world a far more interesting place. But I need the Totopas to win, so Far won't. Well, won't what? She was going to sacrifice me to the Light Eater, but let me check. Oh, yes, quite a disgusting display of self-cannibalization going on up there, and on such a grand scale, too. A river of black and purple gore spills into our hole, and if I thought the insides of whales smelled bad, it's only because I'd not yet known the joys of showering in the viscera of extra-dimensional leviathans. Yes, its mouth is quite full. No room for me in its belly. I mean, it no longer has a belly. So that plan of hers is right out. It must be. Yet does that mean Far will forgive me my other crimes and allow me to live... By all indications, no. She still wants me suffering, broken, and dead. An example for all history. Hmm. All sentimentality aside, on balance it really would be better for my continued health if it was the Totopas who emerged supreme here. But I just can't bring myself to cheer on the death of my former lover. She gave me some of the only happy memories this shriveled heart possesses. Then I have a clever notion. As they engage in their epic contest, I step close and drive my hand between its black tendrils and her shining leg. An unbearable shimmer ripples along my skin. 
as I hoped, my unbeatable power of rejection prompts whatever they're doing, and the two spring apart, Lady Far with a gasp stumbling backward. She turns on me, enraged. But why, fool? Why, when it almost cracked its foundation, why did you save it? Oh, um, I did. I didn't mean to save it. I thought I was saving you. Ah, you're as stupid as you are dangerous. Don't you know the Totopas wants you dead? It's promised your blood and bones to one of the lords of the Ferric Salkery in exchange for an army of fiends. Oh, ho, fiends. How divine. What is a Ferric Salkery? A plane of reality as far from hell as hell is from us. It lies beneath the underneath. It is as far beyond evil as hell is from the world of light and life. A horrible secret that is kept from the likes of you. Beneath the underneath? Ugh, I'd rather not. I just got back, and someone needs to have a talk with Lothastet about the proper maintenance and care of one's domain. Appalling place. I suppose I'll take my chances with you. With me? The white fire rushes to her face, much as blood does to those enraged. It grows too bright to behold. Oh, you don't want to spend another heartbeat with me! Far lifts a hand, and a lightning bolt cracks against my face. It tugs my head backward and blinds me for a moment, but otherwise does no harm. I blink. Oswalden's dead. Far looks up and makes a face. The white fire in her eyes dims. We study the twitching remains of the Light Eater. In the end, its long neck had been able to curve around and eat its entire chest cavity and shoulders before collapsing into a twitching, gluttonous suicide, pieces of its own rent flesh still hanging from its mouth. Those hideous eyes have finally glazed over and lost their power. The Light Eater is no more. Not even I can save him. The Light Eater... Oh, she means Oswalden. I'd already forgotten about him. Her words are cryptic. I know that Lady Far's powers may indeed be limitless, but does she mean that normally she can restore the dead, but in this case cannot? An interesting tidbit, that. I hold out my hand. Come, Far. I am your only ally left. You are not my ally. Far grasps me by the chain and makes a sudden move. In an eye blink we find ourselves on the hillside facing Mount Apsim again. The exact same spot on the blasted slope, as a matter of fact. The dead Onabraith captain still grips several broken brass minions. Wind flaps at his black rags. The tableau is so forlorn I nearly miss Oswalden for a moment. Yet I don't. Amazing what the lack of a soul does to a man. But I am your ally. The enemy of your enemy is the only one you've got left, lady. Because your enemy... I point to the peak of Mount Apsim, where the Totopas, swollen with evil, now uncoiled like a dragon from its perch, is ready to rejoin the affray. Then I will face it alone. Lady Far whips the chain over her head and hurls me far across the hellscape. I drop sideways into a chasm of magma, my hands like claws, scrabbling desperately at the crumbled clay just out of reach. These are the small, unknown tragedies of every violent death. The tiniest factors can sway any outcome, but my fingers cannot reach the earth. 
The faithless air carries me to my infernal doom. And now the poisonous air cannot be rejected. There are too many fumes and not enough air for me to breathe. I begin to suffocate and cook, both at once. Yet, even as my bubbling, ignited death fills my view, I marvel at the shadow of the uncurled totopos, blocking the sun behind me. The blighter must be a league from top to tail. My heart fires with a father's pride. Then I fall toward incineration. The rejection does an odd thing here. Evidently, heat and suffocation are threats to me every bit as worthy of rejection as a spear thrust. I glance away from the scalding, poisonous air and tumble sideways on a rising pillow of it toward the wall of the chasm. My rejection will not let me fall any further. And it's uncomfortable enough where I am, pushed against the wall of the chasm by the air. My skin skitters against the clay as my body slowly poaches. My hands grasp at the crumbling walls but cannot gain purchase. Somehow I rise of my own accord. Aha! As I cook, the rejection sees the local heat as a threat and pushes me further away. In this manner, I rise. With every degree my body continues roasting, the rejection pushes me back up and away from the magma below. So I maintain a low parboil my brain fevered, my skin screaming. Yet, I do not die. I do recall how my left wrist is broken when I try to grasp the ground with it. I howl, but the attempt repels me away from the cliff face to bob gently in the center of the chasm. I float at a nice equilibrium point, face to the sky. Then the two titans collide across it. Far is now the size of a god, as tremendous as any mountain. A blazing white star shines upon her forehead bright as the sun. She stands among the clouds, a giant of the air, her arms wide. The totopos is a nightmare serpent writhing around her, its body impossibly built. It has too many claws and wings, and its body is at turns a sinuous worm or a bunched barrel of muscle. The contest is physical and magical and a whole host of things I can't even categorize. It vomits ichor onto her, and she scores it with white plasma. Where their wills oppose, the air itself ignites and scales up the visible spectrum into glowing flares that hurt the eyes. The serpent wraps itself around far and squeezes. She shoots it through with rays of light. Storms whip up in the tortured air, and lightning cracks the sky open. A scattering of meteorites fall. Perhaps one of them employed clerestomy. Wouldn't that be splendid? The ground shakes like a giant drum. The air screams and parts. Dimensions yawn wide, revealing titanic wars among alien armies, fighting proxy conflicts to this essential one between light and dark, evil and good, hope and despair. I feel like an amateur. But whatever font of puissance far possesses, we are trespassers here. We stand upon the bedrock of the totopos itself. We are in the seat of its power. It fastened fangs around Far's neck. Her fingers disappear within its chitin. They scream, ravaging each other. This is the final death struggle.
Then sudden silence claps them, and the earth falls away. Slam! It stops with a deep detonation of stone on stone, only felt and not heard, dropping far to her knees. But this isn't the work of the Totopas. It also falls with a muted screech from her shoulders, unable to resist the force of the collision. Then the silent earth heaves upward with such force that it ejects me, spinning spread-eagled from the chasm. I tumble through the air as the earth crashes against the underside of both colossi, interrupting them as they try to regain their balance. Slam! The earth knocks them both down again. They fall apart, holding on for dear life. Slam! The earth strikes them so soundly that far falls to her knees. The totopos scuttles in a fright across the ground. From atop Mount Apsim, a tiny figure appears, urgently waving his hand. Hello! He's waving at me. Why, it's Carlinus. And look, there's Sheshuk and little Ogany beside her. I can just hear his whiny voice over the fading echoes of the combat. Master, I'm here. Yes, you wretch, I hear you. What do you want? My task is to deliver a message. Lady Far and the Totopos have gone still, as curious as I am. A message? What the devil do you mean? A message from whom? She said I should introduce her as the second mess. Epley Timon steps forward into the light. Thanks for listening to A Lot Shock. Stay tuned every week for new episodes. Tell your friends and keep an eye out for other stories told here on The Unuseful Hour.